Let's open our Bibles. The precious Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, to 2 Peter chapter 2. And the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. David wrote in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. The things that I'm about to share with you that have been shared before are settled. God said it. That settles it. God wrote it. That settles it. For each of us, we can say God said it. I believe it. That settles it as far as we're concerned. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that we ought to look into the perfect law of liberty. The law of liberty is not the United States Constitution, but the Word of God. And it's perfect, and we want to remember that. If we want to be perfect, if we want to do what is perfect in the sight of God, then we want to pay attention to His Word. Our meeting this last Wednesday evening about Psalm 119 should point us in the right direction that what God has told us on this subject is all that matters. We can read and quote fathers, church fathers. We can read national fathers. We can look at organizations that consider themselves patriotic. We can read them. We can hear them. And uh, if it doesn't match up with the Word of God, it is nonsense, it is vanity, and it is a distraction, diversion, and a destroying device for the people of God. I toyed with a lot of this junk in the past because of a lot of influences in my life toward civil disrespect. And uh, I'm thankful to the God of heaven for saving me from the vast majority of it. And I pray that He'll yet perfect me. I don't want an idol in my heart, nor a stumbling block of iniquity before mine eyes, to vary from what God's Word has to say. Let me read to you the four verses that we want to make our context today. They are verses 9-12. through 12. 2 Peter 2, 9-12. through 12. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly, them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these, as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Amen and amen. I hope that you appreciated the words of God that have already been read to you this morning. From Deuteronomy, Ecclesiastes, Matthew, Romans, and 1 Peter chapter 2. That's the word of the Lord. We want to humble ourselves before it. We want to let it be a bright light that shines into the recesses of our heart and eradicates anything there that is wrong. We have, we are greatly improved. 
God has saved us from the influence of many that didn't get this message from the Word of God. And I'm very thankful for that. I hope that all of us have come with a humble mind before God's Word and want to hear whatever the Bible has to say. I have enough material to preach on this for a couple of months. And I'm going to do it in one service by God's grace in a timely manner if He'll help me. Because I believe that we've made much progress and we just need a reminder from these verses. May the Lord help us. There are three examples given in context of the angels in verse 4, of the old world that was drowned by the flood in verse 5, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in verse 6, and how God spared the godly in every one of those cases. God spared Joshua and Caleb when He destroyed the whole nation in the wilderness. He spared Rahab and her house when He destroyed Jericho. He saved Jeremiah from Nebuchadnezzar. And He saved the Christians in a city called Pella when Jerusalem was overthrown by the Roman armies. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and He knows how to deliver us out of the fall and decline and ruin of the United States of America. Our country is not dependent on you, nor are we trusting you to keep it. God is going to do what He has purposed to do in it, and we are going to pray for its preservation for the sake of His elect that live in it. And to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. This is primarily in verse 9, the second half of the verse. The day of judgment meaning eternal fire of the lake of fire. God knows how to reserve the wicked for that day, and they will meet that day, and not a single one of them will escape. Verse 10, but chiefly, those that are going to be punished in the day of judgment, in the last half of verse 9, the apostle by the Holy Ghost picks out two categories of sins that he wants us to focus on. But chiefly, the men that are going to get cast into the lake of fire are guilty of two chief categories of sins. Sexual excess and disrespect and dis- and despising of civil government. And then he goes on and elaborates on the second of those two categories, not the first. We, we mentioned the first a little bit last Lord's Day and this Lord's Day because of the context that leads us in to a further examination of the words despise government. We do not want to despise government. Jude's words, and remember, the best commentary on 2 Peter 2 is the epistle of Jude. If you read Jude and you read 2 Peter 2, you'll see how similar they are. And the best commentary on Jude is 2 Peter 2. They're very helpful to each other. Jude's words are, despise dominion. I like that. Dominion is an overbearing ruler. Dominion is a, is a ruler that just crushes opposition. You know, dominion it gets closer to what Brother Ryan read to us a few minutes ago, where he attached, by instruction, he attached the verses in 1 Peter 2 about civil government to the verses about submitting to masters on the job. Because the only time that you ever do anything thankworthy in the sight of God is when you submit to a froward master. And the only time you can really show your respect of civil government is when you submit to one you don't like. When you submit to one that isn't treating you the way you think they should, or one that is mistreating you the way that the government may have been set up originally in its intent, that's the only time we can really glorify God. 
When the government's doing everything that they're supposed to be doing, and the government's doing everything we want them to be doing, that's not submission, that's a vacation. And I preach that very same terminology about all five spheres of authority, and there's no difference among the spheres, except civil government deserves our obedience more than the others. Why? Because they're called gods. Sherry hasn't tried that one on me yet. And I haven't asked that of my children. But the Bible tells us that we are supposed to address rulers, civil rulers, as gods. Exodus 22 and verse 28, Psalm 82, and Jesus quotes it in John chapter 10, and He says, the word gods is exactly the word that God wanted for that verse, and if gods is not in Psalm 82, and it's not in Exodus 22, then Scripture cannot be broken. You're holding something that is not a Bible. Jesus made an argument from that word that it is the appropriate word that civil rulers, because they represent God, and so they're called gods with a little g. Dominion is good. We want to love dominion. We love dominion on a football field. We want to love dominion when it's in an office that God has ordained and they exercise it with power. Now every office is going to be exercised with some measure of sin, just like when we exercise our own offices of husband, father, pastor, master, and so forth. There's going to be sin that creeps in and they're going to overstep their bounds. They're going to do it in a way that's not perfect, but that doesn't alter a thing. It just gives us, it doesn't alter a thing as far as the respect of the office, it gives us an opportunity to serve God in a situation that generates some praise. Out of, cause the only, sometimes we have to fall back on conscience toward God is the only thing that motivates us to obey them. But then that shows God that we really have a conscience toward Him. Lord help us to do that. Peter saw these two marks of apostates as being sexual immorality and civil rebellion. And the words, but chiefly, as we went over last Lord's Day, direct us to understand that he's going to single out two particular sins of apostates. And it's sexual excess, which is certainly true of our nation, and it is civil rebellion, which is also true, and it's rebellion at every level of government when we think of government as being authority. There's a breakdown of authority today. No one disagrees, I don't believe in this room, that there's a breakdown of authority in all five spheres of authority. And the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10 that a breakdown of authority comes from the ruler. It starts at the top. Ecclesiastes 10, 5 through 7 tells us the reason servants get on horses and princes get off the horses and walk beside the horses is a evil that comes from the ruler. Well, I want to tell you, if we want to worship God and restore proper authority as well as we're able, we want to start with the ruler. We don't start at the bottom of the chain of command. We start at the top. Let's honor our rulers and let that settle down through all the five spheres of authority that we have in our lives. But let's start with the rulers and give them the proper honor that they deserve. We counter it by starting at the ruler. God has set up offices of human authority. We are to honor and obey them. God set them up. Brother Stephen read those to us. Resisting civil authority, the gods of this earth, is to resist God Himself. Existing powers in civil government are by God. Abraham Lincoln's words of the people and by the people are just ridiculous. The poor man didn't have great understanding in political matters because the Bible says that government is by God and of God. 
It's not over by the people. It's oven by God. We may dislike many things about rulers, but their offices are from the Lord. God condemns cursing civil rulers even in our hearts. Believe it. I want to believe it. I want to practice it every single day. He condemns even meddling with those that are given to civil change. We have more important duties than to worry about this pitiful little country. It's going the way that it's 320 million people want it to go. We are citizens of a holy nation, the Bible tells us. We are citizens of another kingdom. We have a different king. He's in charge of our nation. Our Supreme Court and our Congress and our President and whatever other organizations you think exist or you think have power, whatever agenda you think that they're following is an agenda God has given them. No one is doing anything that God isn't orchestrating completely. He had his angels in the governments of Persia and the governments of Grisha, and he's got his angels in the government of the United States of America and Soviet Russia, China, and every other, any other nation you want to think of. That's our God. He's in charge, and everything is working its course out to please him. He condemns even meddling with those that are given to civil change. And every time you read them, listen to them, you are playing with fire, you are twisting your heart, you are exposing yourself to temptation as much as a man looking at pornography is exposing himself to the temptation of the other category of sins that God condemned, and that's sexual excess. There is absolutely no profit in reading some conservative pundit on his ideas on what's going on in Washington. You aren't going to stop it. The information does you no good. You have wasted a great deal of time, and you have tempted the lusts of your flesh to rebel against government, to disrespect them, and to despise them. He he is slanting his report because he has a market niche that he is going after. It is suckers like you that are reading his junk, and he wants to turn the screwdriver in you or the knife in you and get you irritated about government by slanting everything that he writes according to his whims. Conservative reporters don't report any more accurately than liberal reporters. I've known that since I was single digit and started reading everything that the John Birch Society supplied. The chapter coordinators in my area would bring me bags of books, grocery bags of those books, and I would read their junk. I passed out none dare call it treason in the third grade, and I passed out none dare call it conspiracy in the sixth grade in the public school that I attended. I've read their junk. They don't know anymore. I've heard so many errors By those people coming out of their mouths, they don't know. They've never met anybody that belongs to the Illuminati. They don't know. There's no profit. Let me go through that list again. Reading their junk is a waste of your time. It is a distraction. They have an agenda. And their agenda is not scriptural. They are not trying to endorse what the Bible says about not speaking evil of dignities. They are wanting to make you unhappy with our country, irritated about our rulers, and by the time you get done, you're distracted, diverted, and destroyed from being the godly Christian you could be where all your focus is on His kingdom, His lordship, His control of all things. There are a bunch of fear mongers. I've heard all about currency being sitting in warehouses since I was a teenager. We've had the same currency now for the last, you know, how old am I? I think I'm 58 years old. So for 50 years, they've been lying about our currency. The reason they're going to raise gas prices until there's going to be no interstate, interstate travel in the United States. Well, we still travel more easily now than ever before in the history of our country. Everything they've said is nonsense. They thought the world was coming to an end in the 60s. 
They thought the world was coming to an end in the 70s. And we've had 50 wonderful years since then to enjoy the greatest measure of prosperity the country's had. The individual man could achieve more and enjoy more over the last 50 years than ever before. Money's been laid on the table. It's been wonderful. We've been through all that in a series that was entitled Living Under President Obama. Who, what faults, what faults a child sees or hears in his parents? Let's ask the question, does a child see or hear faults in his parents? Of course. There's no perfect parent. What faults a child sees or hears in his parents is fully irrelevant to his duty. It doesn't matter that a father has faults, that a mother has faults. It doesn't mitigate his responsibility to obey that man or woman in the office of parent at all. And it doesn't mitigate our responsibility towards civil government. If they have faults, they're all going to have faults. Between a brat teenager and a disrespectful patriot, the adult is far guiltier. Please remember that everything you read, and there's so much to read now, it just makes me shudder and quiver. Everybody gets to publish free now on the Internet. Everybody gets to write a comment after, you know, any news article or any document or any blog that's out there, you know, at the bottom it's comments. And anybody can publish their little nonsense so the collective insanity of the entire world is at your disposal and it can suck all of your time up and it's constantly doing this by the devil himself to twist you against our government and its rulers. Lord help us. Some of the harshest New Testament language is reserved for this political wickedness that's before us in this passage. Neither God, nor the nation, nor we are depending on you to preserve our nation. God's going to preserve it or not. It is not the vigilance of citizens that keeps nations. It is the righteousness of saints. What was going to preserve Sodom and Gomorrah? Because Lot was on city council? What was going to preserve Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot was on city council. Was it going to help? Not at all. What was going to help? Lot and his family living righteously. And they weren't, so it wasn't. The most important thing we can do for our nation, if anybody cares about the United States of America really, and isn't just despising government and despising dominion, here's how you can prove it. They live the most righteous lives They do not worry about what's going on in Washington because their time and energy is spent where God wants it to be spent. That's in His Word, reading His book, serving His saints, and on their knees for the nation. On their knees for the nation. Not going to meetings for the nation. Not sending contributions for the nation. On their knees for the nation. Any man or our church can do far more good to preserve our nation. We want to preserve it for the sake of ourselves, our children, and our children's children. Let's do what the Bible says to do to preserve it. It's not the vigilance of citizens that keeps nations. It's the righteousness of the saints and the will of God that keeps them. For more than noise and froth about how much you love God, show it by honoring the authority that He set up because that honors Him. You know in the Bible when it says, when they rejected Moses at times, what did the Bible say? They rejected me. The Lord said that. When they rejected Samuel, who were they rejecting? God. 
Now, if we just reverse that, when we accept and reverence and honor the authorities that God's put over us, we are accepting, reverencing, and honoring God Himself. It works both ways. If we despise those that He's put over us, you know, how many of you want a child sitting at your table, sullen and silent and despising you? How many of you want a child in their bedroom with the door closed, thinking about how much they hate you? Then why do you ever do that towards your government? I wish the president would pay us a visit so that I could be first in line in honoring him as the commander-in-chief of our nation. Do I know that he differs with the Bible? So? Do I know that he differs from the constitution of the country? So? Do I know that he may prefer the Koran over the Bible? So? What does that have to do with anything? It just gives me more of an opportunity to honor God. Haven't, haven't you ever read Paul and Peter? Who were they honoring? Nero didn't even get close enough to read the Koran. Where at least Jesus is a great prophet, just not the greatest. Joseph was a master in Egypt, honoring his pagan government, marrying the priest of An's daughter, writing tax legislation that preserved the priesthood, subsidizing the priests of a pagan religion. Daniel would have done the very same things in Babylon. And when they looked, they couldn't find a single time that he'd ever been to a meeting that was subversive in nature against the government of Babylon. Not a single thing. The only thing they could find on him is that he opened his windows that faced due west and he prayed toward the ruins of Solomon's temple because Solomon, when he had dedicated, had said, if we're ever in captivity and we pray toward this place here and deliver us. And so he prayed in that direction. Oh, let's honor God. We want to be those that walk with God and are faithful faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ and faithful citizens of God's kingdom. And we do that by honoring the authority He set up. America didn't set up the authority we have over us. God set it up. It is not of the people. It is not by the people. It is by God. It doesn't matter what form of government you have. One is not better than the other in the sense that I'm talking about right now because God set them all up. It doesn't matter if you're Japanese and you're worshiping an emperor. It doesn't matter if you're an American and you think the Constitution is king or you're an American and you think President Obama is king or you're an American and you think that Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson are your authorities. We submit to those that God has put over us. You know, it's easy. Remember, this passage is primarily about false teachers and the apostates that they create by their wicked ministries. That's, that's the overall context because it started out in verse 1 telling us that false teachers were going to bring in damnable heresies in verse 1 and their pernicious ways would destroy many in verse 2. And through covetousness, they would make merchandise of God's people in verse 3. But their damnation is coming. And there's damnation in this world, and there's damnation in the world to come for those that don't like civil government. Because that's what was read to us from Romans chapter 13. It's easy to build a ministry on anti-government rhetoric, for all men despise government within their hearts, because it's the farthest removed. A child grows up with a father, and, and that father does good things for him, and that father's big and strong, and he's growing up in a crib, and so he comes, there's a, there's a, there's a sense of attachment and affection between a child and a father because they're close at hand. 
a father and a mother who are husbands and wives, they have affection toward each other because they chose each other. They were deeply in love at one time with each other. In an employment situation, you know you're getting paid by that guy, so you like the master, so it's always easier. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is not easy because it's a long ways away and we don't see them paying us because we don't necessarily, or most of us, don't get checks in our mailbox from them. We put checks in the mailbox to them and so it's harder. They're farther removed. We can't influence their decisions. We can't say, Daddy, can I have a new bike? We just have to take what comes down the pipe and so it's harder. And so there is this boiling resentment of civil government So it's in the pages of Scripture over and over again. And it shouldn't surprise us. I grew up having to get ready for school in the morning listening to the 20th Century Reformation Hour by Carl McIntyre, who was no different than Jeremiah Wright, who was no different than Jerry Falwell and his moral majority, who was no different than MLK Jr. All of them were subversive to what the Bible says about respecting government. The natural man loves to hear civil rulers criticize, but spiritual men should despise it. Natural men that know not God will flock to hear about political conspiracies, but they don't want to hear the Word of God preached. The JBS, John Birch Society is what it, what it is, and Christianity have no connection but the name of a missionary. Because the one is not Christian in its intent. And that is to be thankful, cheerful, and serve a government and bless it and praise it and and be the best citizens that we can be. Politics, conspiracies, the Constitution, voting and all that stuff have no place in the pulpit and that's why they're not in our pulpit. Ministers of the Gospel should be examples of honor and submission and I want to be. I always wasn't, but I want to be. And I hope I am. If they'll not honor civil rulers, why should church members obey them? If they're supposed to hold the ideal, and remember that though God allowed polygamy, He didn't allow bishops or deacons to have more than one wife. So we should show that we love the government that's over us and submit ourselves to it. The hypocrisy and inconsistency of anti-government patriots, anarchists, whatever you want to call them, those who chafe, criticize, and rebel, expect others to honor and obey them. I do not understand that. They want honor, but they don't want to give honor. That's hypocrisy. That's inconsistency. That shows that you have an agenda that is wicked. You've got to give it first before you can expect it. Because your sphere of authority is actually weaker and less important than the gods that you're supposed to be honoring. They hate unions for organizing the rabble, but they attend meetings for organizing the rabble. They claim to love God's sovereignty, but God's sovereignty is that He chose offices and men over us. The man that is in the office, the highest office in our nation is the man God chose. It's better than we, des- He's better than we deserve. The justices that we have on our highest court are the people God chose for those offices. We want to honor them. You know, if we open up these words, despise government, as broadly as the Bible assumes to be used, because it says in Psalm 119 that thy law is exceeding broad, it brings in all of government. But this particular passage is, refers to dignities, and we understand it of civil government. Verse 10, 
after the words despise government, there's a period, and I showed you last Lord's Day that there's one long sentence that runs from the beginning of verse 4 all the way to the middle of verse 10. And then that sentence ends, and then we get a couple of sentences, uh, three of them, that are explanatory of the words despise government. And so it says, presumptuous are they. And you heard the word presumptuous from Matthew's reading of Deuteronomy chapter 17, when someone would presume to think that the application of law or the ruling that a judge would give them was not good enough, and they were to disobey it, and it didn't matter how high of an offense was at stake, just kill them. If they don't like what the judge said, kill them. That is God's law for establishing authority from the top level down. And that would create, what does it say that it would create? It would create fear so that people would no longer do wickedly. What is wickedly? Disregarding the judgment of a judge. You know, we have a whole judicial system in our nation from the highest levels right down to local magistrates. And we want to honor them. They're not all in some conspiracy. They don't go home and light a candle in the closet and pray to Lucifer. They don't send donations to the Rothschild family. They're not waiting for the setting of the AM gold price, the gold fix in London by the Roth, NM Rothschild and Sons. They're doing a hard job and they're doing it well. We have the greatest nation on earth that way. And we've had it for a long time. And we're going to thank the Lord in the Second Assembly for Judge O'Donnell in Cleveland, Ohio for a wonderful ruling yesterday morning and wonderful terminology in which he opposed the protesters that were outside the courthouse where he exonerated a police officer who jumped on the hood of a car at the end of a 20-mile chase and took his Glock 17 and put 15 rounds into the two unarmed occupants that were sitting in the front seat. He explained it well. Presumption. Presumption is taking upon oneself more than is warranted by one's position. That's the definition of the word. It's forward or overconfident opinion or conduct. It's arrogance. It's pride. Presume. You know, the, pro- the false prophets were the ones that presumed to speak a word in the name of the Lord, even though the Lord hadn't appeared to them. Haman presumed upon the race of Esther. And Ahasuerus took care of that presumption the way it should have been. Think about Korah presuming on Moses. You read about it last night. You take too much on you. What's the temperature in heaven and what direction is it going when some fool on earth makes that statement even though he's got a majority? He's got 250 princes, men of renown. Do you know how high their renown went? Lower than Moses' feet. The temperature was rising in heaven and he burned them. Does the number 14,954 plus plus mean anything to you as to what happened in the event of Korah? Isn't that a sick story that you read last night? That after taking out Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and An, and their families, and the 250, the next day the nation said, ye have killed the people of the Lord? Where is the fear of God? All they had to do was look toward that tabernacle. And you know what the temperature was in heaven? And what direction it was headed? It was rising. And there was only one man there that had enough sense to know what was about to break forth. And it was Moses. 
And he told Aaron, get your censer and get yourself into the middle of this nation because they're all going to be consumed. From what words? Because we're dealing with speaking evil of dignities today. From what words? You take too much on you. Does our government overstep its bounds that you think it's bound by? They can't move one step or lift a finger without God allowing them to do it. And you aren't going to stop them ever. And by even thinking about it or worrying about it, you displease God, your prayers are ineffectual, and you're going to bring damnation on yourself because you're speaking evil of dignities. In every other sphere of authority, you would rather have an authority figure that oversteps his bounds than understeps. Why does it change when it's 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? They presume. These men, because look what it says, presumptuous are they. Who are they? The false teachers and the apostates they create by their false doctrine. Presumptuous are they. They presume they have leadership qualities and could do the official's job. They presume they are as capable of those in office and deserve the office. This is generally based on surviving a newspaper route as a child or driving a taxi cab as an adult. They presume they know all the varied factors to be managed by the official. They presume they could easily manage such factors better than the official. They presume their sources of information are accurate, complete, and true about what's going on in government. They presume that their what-if analyses would surely work like falling off a log if they had the office. But the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25 in the first three verses that the heart of kings is unsearchable. If the heart of kings is unsearchable, why do you think you can search it? They are dealing with things you can't even comprehend. Do you know what our press and these type of thinkers would do with Solomon, who invited his mother into his court and said, Mother, what, what would you like? I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. And he had a seat prepared beside him for his mother And she said, I want Abishag for Adonijah. And he said he's spoken that for his own death. And he immediately signed a death warrant for Adonijah to be killed because Adonijah wanted Abishag, the bed warmer from David. You know, what would our press do with something like that? The heart of kings is unsearchable. Solomon had a perspective on things that no one else would have. And you know, we have to work a little bit to understand he just lied to his mother He promised her up to half the kingdom and all she asked for was this discarded girl that now that David's dead and Adonijah wants to marry her and it's all in the family now, um, kill him. The heart of kings is unsearchable. They're dealing with things that you can't even comprehend. That's what you expect your children to believe about your decisions for the family. Daddy says, children, we have to move to another state. The children throw their hands up in the air hurl their crayons against the wall. Why do we have to go to a new school? Why do we have to make new friends? Because they wouldn't comprehend the fact that Daddy just lost his job in that city, that in another city, another job opened up that was going to pay him twice as much, and in that other city are two ailing parents of their mother that their mother can be closer to to take care of in their old age. See, children are too stupid to figure those things out And so daddy just has to say, kids, pack up your crayons and get your tricycle in the moving truck. We've got to move out of state. And it is no different when citizens think they understand what goes on in government. 
because the Bible says so. Do you know what it's going to say here? It's going to say like natural brute beasts, they speak evil of the things that they understand not. That is talking about civil government and the, the terribly weighty decisions that have to be made there. And they face all the pros and cons. In an information society, they have more pros and cons and more information that are plugged at them every day than is that's hard to imagine. Presumption is uh, the difference between Solomon and Korah. When Solomon was about to get the kingdom, or had the kingdom, God appeared to him and said, what do you want? He said, I'm a, I'm a little child. I don't know how to do this job. Give me a wise and understanding heart. What did Korah say? I've already got the wise and understanding heart. I should have your job, Moses. What a difference. Who do you want to be like? Self-willed. They just want to do things their own way instead of trust and submit to rulers over them. But they want everyone else to submit to their will that are under them. These are brute beasts. In any form of, in any place in society, in any organization, those that are self-willed need to be thrown out of the organization. Cast out the scorner and strife ceases. And it's true of civil government because these are made to be taken and destroyed, as it says in verse 12. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. They should be. The, the, the biggest issue here is not taking up arms against the government. The biggest issue is speaking evil of dignities. Let's, it's, it's stated three times. Let me show them to you. In the second half of verse 10, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. In verse 11, using the example of the angels, it's railing accusation. That's verbal disrespect of government. And then down in verse 12, in the middle of it, it says, speak evil of the things that they understand not. So in all three verses, it's telling us what the real issue is. It's opening our yappers. We do not like our wives speaking against us to us or speaking against us away from us to others. None of you men in here like that. You all oppose that. And most of you have wives that would never do that. Why do you ever open your yapper against our government? You are inconsistent and a hypocrite. Your wife is so much closer to you in intelligence or above you in intelligence then you are in understanding what's going on in Washington, Columbia, or Greenville. Let's be, and I'm speaking to myself. I expect my wife to treat me a certain way. I had better treat the government that way, or I'm a hypocrite. You can see that the issue is our mouths, or our keyboards, or our texting with our cell phones. Let's guard ourselves. You, we ought to be afraid of speaking evil against them. Since the official was ordained by God, you're despising God's lawful ordinance by talking against Him. Since the civil official is from God for your good, you're despising a gift from God. Since the ruler is God's ambassador, you oppose His sovereign appointee. Just like we would consider it as a nation if another nation violated our embassy. Because that is our sovereign territory there. And that is our sovereign representative. And God sends His sovereign representative in our offices that are appointed over us. Lord, help us to understand. David understood it. Remember the times he could have killed Saul? And who was the appointed king of Israel? David was. Who was God with? God was with David. Whom had God left? King Saul. Who was profane and wicked? Saul. Who was violating the terms of government? Saul. What did David do? He wouldn't touch the Lord's anointed. When he met a man that had touched the Lord's anointed... 
or pretended to have touched the Lord's anointed, what did he do to the man? He killed him on the spot. We want to be like David. I want to be like David. I've said more things for God to forgive me of against government at all levels of, in all spheres of authority than I even want to think about except to trust His grace. I wonder why I'm preaching on forgiveness in the second assembly. And it wasn't by design because I'm not smart enough. I was absolutely pressed down in my chair and told you'll get this sermon over with even though I've got 11 pages and it's an hour a page of notes to get through. And look at that thing back there on that wall that is just pounding me right now. Because as far as I'm concerned, I'm still introducing the subject to you. It's speaking evil. What is that? Cursing. Speaking lightly or disrespectful facial expressions about or to parents was a capital crime in the Bible. Parents ain't gods. Kings are gods. A parent couldn't take a child out back and chop his head off, but the gods of his city could. Do you know all this? Do you know that it says repeatedly in the Bible that to curse your parent was a capital crime? Do you know in the Bible that it says that if you set light by your parents, to speak disrespectfully of your parents was a curse from God? Do you know that to roll your eyes at your parents was a capital crime? Those are the, those are the principles of God's Word that should flood into our heart and our soul and convict us and condemn us for rolling our eyes, tossing our heads, and blowing off statements about our gods that He has set over us. Oh Lord, help us. You're not even to curse them in your heart. Back in the old days, parents punished children for calling policemen pigs. You know, the first time I ever heard that was in the late 60s and early 70s with the hippies. You know, it popped out one time at home. Then, then something else popped out. And it was a black belt that was kept in a drawer. It popped out and dad got a hold. We don't call policemen pigs. They're policemen. Do you remember when that started in our country? Calling them pigs? Why in the world would you call a policeman a pig? He's giving his life, his, his, he has dedicated his life at low wages to protect you from pigs. <coughs> so it's a change in our, in our, in our thinking and our speaking about government. Parents used to punish children for calling them the old man or the old lady. I called my mother the old lady one time. You've heard about it. I was 10 or 12 years old. The next thing I knew, I was in the nearest bathroom to the kitchen and a bar of soap was in my mouth. That is filthy speech, so I need to clean it up. Oh, that's what you're doing. I I couldn't talk because I had a bar of soap in my mouth and soap doesn't taste very good. Kids, go home and try it. You know why? We don't call him the old man or the old lady. Well, they're older than me. Why can't I call him the old man or the old lady? What if they couldn't tell me that I couldn't ride my bike that afternoon? That they wanted me home to cut the grass and I called them, I don't care what you say, old man. Anything wrong with that? Boy, the Lord has a lot to say about that. Look at Acts 23. Acts 23. Heavenly Father, you've got to help me seriously. Lord, and I mean that with all reverence, you know the hearts of all men that are sitting here. You know the hearts of all those that are going to listen to this sermon later. And I pray that with your infinite wisdom and knowledge of the hearts of all men, you will direct every word I say that it will land on fertile ground and bear fruit 
in every one of our lives that we will humble ourselves, confess our sins, and turn again unto Thee by honoring the gods You've put over us. Acts chapter 23, Paul's on trial for his life. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Should I close my Bible and sit down? Who was wrong? The high priest. Who was right? Paul. Did Paul say anything that wasn't true? No. Should he have said what was true? No. Did he admit it? In public? Did he back down? Did he correct himself? Did he apply Scripture correctly? Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Deal with it. Love it. It's one of the texts of Scripture, brethren. You know, I've heard Christians that some of you know and some of you have respected in the past call IRS agents public servants, and when they arrive at your door, you're supposed to remind them that uh, I want you to know that you're a public servant and the emphasis is on servant. Do you know I was taught that in my early days by men that some of you know and respect? Where does that thought process come from? That is from the devil himself. That is presumptuous ignorance. A person like that ought to be taken out and shot. Do you know when when they're public servants, do you have any idea what that word means? Does that mean they go around groveling behind you and picking up your dirt and cutting your grass for you? They're the servants of God in the public sphere. Get down. They have authority over you and they can cut your head off. And I wish the IRS had that kind of authority. Our tax-paying percentage would go up. They're, They're the servants of God. They're God's ministers to us for good. What does it mean to speak evil of dignities? You know, we've got three expressions here. Speak evil of dignities, railing accusations against them before the Lord, and to speak evil of things that we don't understand. It is, here it is, it is disrespectful use of names and or charging them with wrongdoing. And this is pulled from everything the Bible has to say about speaking disrespectfully about any of the five spheres of authority because they're the highest. Short of God. It is disrespectful use of names and or charging them with wrongdoing or any other form of setting light, demeaning, mocking, cursing, or jesting, or any lack of proper honor and reverence that is expected for high offices. Let me say that again. What does it mean to speak evil of dignities? It is the disrespectful use of names or charging them with wrongdoing, or any other form of setting light, demeaning, mocking, cursing, or jesting, or it's any lack of proper honor and reverence that is expected for high offices. Whether you are right or not is irrelevant. The office still deserves its honor. Whether the official is a sinner or pervert is irrelevant. Think Saul and Nero. 
Lord, forgive me if I'm encroaching on any line myself. I'm giving examples. I'm not bringing any railing accusations. It is showing proper deference to a dignified office regardless of the person. Look at Job 34. I want to show you something else that needs to be dealt with when you're thinking about this speaking and charging someone in an office. If a child, if a child's father's a drunkard, is it appropriate for the child at the supper table to say, Dad, you're a drunkard? Does anybody have a question about that? You say, but it's true. So what? All backbiting, whispering, and tail-bearing is true information. This isn't backbiting, tail-bearing, or whispering. It's just showing disrespect to an office. That little twit doesn't have the right to say that to his father. What if the mother doesn't get very much done in a day so the child sits at the house and says, You're lazy! Job 34, verse 16. If now thou hast understanding, anyone that's got a problem with government won't be able to understand this passage. That's how it works. They can't understand Acts 23. They actually think that Acts 23 is difficult because they don't understand it. Here's another one. If now thou hast understanding, hear this. Hearken to the voice of my words. Shall even he that hateth right govern? And wilt thou condemn him that is most just? Now watch this law of nature and this law of godliness. Is it fit to say to a king... Thou art wicked? That's a rhetorical question. Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked? No, it is not fit. And to princes, ye are ungodly. Is it fit to say to princes, ye are ungodly? No, it is not fit. How much less to him that accepteth not the persons of princes, nor regardeth the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. This is Elihu correcting Job for talking against God. And one of the ways that Elihu tried to correct Job for talking against God was appealing to a law of nature that you don't talk that way even to a king or princes. It is not your place nor your right. Shut up. They're in an office way higher than you. You just don't say it. You aren't responsible for them. You're not their second conscience and you don't keep them in line except to exercise their sword and cutting off your head or their lions to get fed. God's going to take care of them. They're answerable to God. They're not answerable to you. Lord, help us. That's Job. You've got Acts. If the ruler rises up against you, whether right or wrong, the Bible says to submit, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Forbearing is the means to deal with the prince, not threatening him. Proverbs 25 and verse 15. Think. Think with me. What does it mean to speak evil of dignities? He's an idiot. Here we go. I'm sorry. Here's a, here's a little list. Just so I can put some legs to the, to the doctrine. He's an idiot. Pig. About policemen. Traitor. Those are railing accusations. He should be a janitor. His wife is a baboon. All he does is golf. A woman governor is ridiculous. Obama, without using his title, you don't have the right to familiarity with him without using his title. Biden's a fool. 
Nikki Haley. She's Governor Haley. Just to remind you that she's in an office a few thousand miles above you and only a hundred miles south of you. They're a bunch of devil-possessed buffoons. He takes more vacations than anyone I know. I hate him. His only qualification is graduating Harvard Law School by EEOC. If he didn't have a teleprompter, he couldn't speak. He wouldn't know constitutional law if it introduced itself to him. That's evil speaking of dignities. We don't talk like that. We don't think like that. The next time you're in court, if anyone in here has a problem with any of this, the next time you're in court, try try calling the judge an atheist. Since you think that most of our judges are atheists because they're in their closet sending telegrams off to the CFR or a communist. Why don't you jump up and, and scream at him that he's a communist or an idiot like you do in private or you read from your informed web sources instead of addressing him as your honor. Try it. The result should help you understand what is acceptable and what is not in speaking evil of dignities. You know, when snotty kids by words or look by words or looks, are cursed and killed by the rule of God's Word, doesn't that tell us that this is a serious matter? The rolling of their eyes in Proverbs chapter 30, setting light by their parents in Deuteronomy 27, when wives are told to reverence their husbands and call them Lord, what does it tell us, men, about our government and the gods that are over us? Honoring parents is much more than obedience. So just obeying your government is not honoring them, and you are to honor rulers. So we want to give them the honor of of using those titles. President Obama, Governor Haley, Mayor White, Justice so-and-so, Congressman, Senator, Judge. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. This is nothing new. I'm just trying to make it a little more practical maybe. This time, we've preached the same thing because God's been gracious to us a long time ago, and I'm very thankful for that. I want to I please Him. He's the High King of Heaven. He has set up these men and these women in offices, and we are to honor them and not speak evil of them, not curse them in our hearts, not disrespect them. Do everything that we can to show proper honor. The next verse is, Let's look at that 10th verse, the sentence that we just covered. Are presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. We ought to be afraid to speak evil of dignities. It ought to terrify us. It was a capital crime to do it to parents. It was a capital crime against the king. Do you remember Shimei cursing David when he was coming back after Absalom had chased him out of Jerusalem? Remember Abishai said, let me go over and take the dead dog's head off? And David said, no, let him curse, because David knew he deserved the cursing. But you know, Solomon did cut his head off later by putting terms on him that he couldn't keep. And of course, he had the NSA watching Shimei's house for two years to see that whenever he left the city of Jerusalem, he'd have the grounds to kill him. 
who knows, they may even have loosed his donkeys or sheep to uh, create the situation for it. You say, well, that wouldn't be right. Why wouldn't it be right? Can you tell me and explain it to me from the Bible? When you have a traitor in the city of Jerusalem and Solomon wants his kingdom to be peaceful, all it was is a temptation for Shimei. You know, somebody cuts, gets some wire cutters and cuts his sheepfold and the sheep run away. That doesn't make Shimei have to leave town. It's just a, a temptation to leave town. Like you've never put a temptation in front of your children to try to teach them righteousness when there's a something in front of them that is tempting that you told them they couldn't have. The, the 11th verse, whereas angels. This, this word whereas is wonderful. It is introducing a statement of fact that is in contrast or opposition to what's been expressed by the principal clause. Whereas, see these people, these false teachers and the apostates they create are in the last part of verse 10, presumptuous. These false teachers and their followers are presumptuous. They are self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities because they despise government. Whereas, now we're going to get an illustration of a group of beings that do not do that. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. And who is the them? The dignities of verse 10. Angels don't do it. Angels don't do it. This is an incredible, inspired wisdom of God's Word to tell us how despicable it is for us to speak against our government, our civil rulers, our civil magistrates, and those that are over us in the public sphere of authority. Because angels don't do it. And think about the angels. Whereas angels, and notice, the Holy Spirit wants to remind you which are greater in power and might, the angels ought to be able to unload on wicked, evil, profane, civil rulers. But they don't. They do not bring railing accusations against them before the Lord, even in the presence of the Lord. And the angels have insight into what those governments, those government governing officials actually do in private, which you have no idea about. They know, they know all the details they could unload on those men, but they don't do it. The angels are greater in intelligence, knowledge, dignity, wisdom, strength, beauty, holiness, foresightfulness, obedience to God, and care for the oppressed. And every part of ruling, they're greater. This is a wonderful comparison for us to learn from. You are not so qualified, you do not see abuse so clearly, and you do not report to such an authority. The angels are responsible to come back and report to God what's going on in Washington, D.C. But they don't bring railing accusations against our government. They have insight that we can't even come close to. They have authority and dignity and holiness and hatred for compromise and evil more than we can even imagine. And they're reporting to the Lord of the universe and they do not rail. To rail is to use reviling name-calling speech and to accuse them of things in a railing, disrespectful way. Wow, this is powerful. The Word of God is unbelievable. I love Thy law, Lord. I hate vain thoughts. Look at that 11th verse. Whereas angels, He brings in this illustration that these mighty angels do not bring railing accusations. So why in the world should we ever speak evil of dignities? Lord, save us from it. A common excuse for railing on officials is perceived 
or real ruler inferiority. The employee likes to talk against his boss because the employee knows he's smarter than the boss. The employee's an MBA. And the boss is 30 years older than the employee. And the boss never got a college degree. And so the little snotty kid that has his MBA talks against him, perceiving, or maybe in real terms, because the boss is inferior to him intellectually, educationally, in understanding whatever particular trade or profession that that those two parties are in. Does that give him a right to do that? Never. But what about the angels? You know, the angels have so much more authority and intelligence and wisdom if they do not bring a railing accusation. Are there more intelligent men in a nation than its president? Of course. Are there more, are there men with more management skill than its president? Of course. Are there men with more business experience than a president? Of course. Are there men with more economic or foreign knowledge? Most definitely. But God does not care whatsoever for those other men are not in the office. And you, and you men with wives that are smarter than you, you should be really thankful for what I'm doing right now. Oh, yes. Wives, uh, they're still your husband. Even though if we were to take an IQ test, you know, for the two of you, it, it'd really be embarrassing. They are the husband. And so it's all settled. God doesn't care who's smarter, who's more educated, who has more experience doing this or doing that. We still owe the office. Should a child with an IQ of 120 despise a parent with an IQ of 90? Nobody wants to nod. Okay, I'll answer it for you. A child with an IQ of 120 should not despise a parent with an IQ of 90 because the IQ has nothing to do with it whatsoever. They hold an office of life and death over the child when God's, if God's laws were being practiced and applied in our country. How about a wife with an IQ of 135 married to a man with one of only 100? She's pushing on genius level, and uh, he's down there at average. Does she still owe him reverence? Or does it alter, does it alter the way they relate? Not at all. Should a sergeant with two tours despise a lieutenant fresh out of school? Not at all. Typical of God's glorious word, the Bible gives us this powerful argument that is sitting right in front of you. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, do not despise or rail against human rulers. Never. That is mind blowing. God's angels do not rail accusingly against Alexander the Great, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, President Obama, Joseph Stalin, Mao Zedong, Fidel Castro, and the rest of them. The mighty angels of God, the holy angels of God that see every infraction, that know far more than you could ever know, that you could even comprehend. When they report to the Most High God, they do not bring railing accusations by name-calling with the illustrations that I gave you. Remember, he's a baboon. He's an idiot. I hate him. This remarkable comparison should grab your attention to hate sin in this issue, right here in this 11th verse. It's just wonderful. Whereas angels, wow, thank you, Lord. I love your word. What does it mean before the Lord? It means the angels operate in the presence of God, so the reports of men are to Him. Don't you want to think they want to unload to the Most High God that some man down there on earth is really abusing his office? They do not bring railing accusations. Can they state the facts? Yes, but no railing accusations, no disrespectful charges. They only state the facts. They're the watchers, even though they're far greater in power and might. And they are not under those men. They are not under those men. They are not under those men. 
They are over those men, but they don't bring railing accusations against them. We are under those men. They are our gods. They are not the gods of angels. Somebody will say to me, what about God's prophets in the Bible that identified sin in national rulers? God's prophets have a job to do that, and they do it by just stating the facts, not by bringing railing accusations. John just told Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He didn't go off on him. You stupid Edomite. You know where you came from, don't you? Herod the Great, your uncle, your great uncle, was just a stinking Edomite appointed by the Romans. You Gentile dogs have no right in Jerusalem. By the way, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. He just, just stated the fact to him. You shouldn't have your brother's wife. And uh, you're not John or John's cousin. So that doesn't really have anything to do with you. And you're not Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar that he ought to break off his sins for a lengthening of his tranquility. Stating sin respectfully is not a railing accusation or a disrespectful criticism, but you better have a purpose for doing it. The last we knew that you were not a prophet of God and God hadn't called you to do that. It is not right for you to have your brother's wife, John the Baptist, to Herod. How about this one? Forty-two children tried this one. Go up, thou bald head. Oh, come on. It's just children. They're just, they're just goofing a little bit. Go up, thou bald head. Forty-two children tried that on Elisha. What did he do? He turned and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Did the Lord honor his curse on forty-two children? Two she-bears came out and tore them. For anybody that is uncomfortable with me preaching to you this way, God set me up to be a watchman, and I'm going to preach faithfully. But to comfort you a little bit, I probably have mouthed off more against authority than anyone sitting in here. But I'm going to make up for it in the latter part of my life, and I don't have to start today because I've been trying to do it for decades, and you all know that about me. And it is hard for me. Pictures of certain rulers and reading about certain events torque me so fast and the flame comes roaring up and the fire burns in my mouth and it burns in my heart. I want to tear myself. But these verses just speak powerfully to me and I want to fulfill them. I want to fulfill every word of God. And for any that is sit, are sitting here right now and thinking, this is your hobby horse, you're not being fair to me. Every time I get in front of you, I have my hobby horse in front of me. Whatever text God gives us, I hope I preach every single one of them intensely. They're all my hobby horses because I want the whole Word of God. We want to esteem all His precepts concerning all things to be right. I didn't pick today for this. I, the Lord just impressed upon me. There are eight chapters by Peter. You have covered Paul's epistles. Would you try Peter? And so here we are today. And I happen to love verse 11. It's just a, it's just beautiful. Verse twelve. Uh, oh, 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 I gotta, I gotta tell you, Jude. The commentary on Second Peter two is Jude. Jude does it a little differently. Jude does this eleventh verse a little differently. Here's the words: Instead of whereas angels, Jude says, "Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him." a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So Jude's version by the Holy Spirit was not 
the angels don't bring railing accusations against dignities. Michael the archangel, the highest angel of them all, singular, doesn't bring a railing accusation against the devil himself. Let's not go off about the devil. Do you know the best safety we... The Lord rebuke thee. I don't even know if we have authority to say that. We can just get down on our knees and say, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and, and save me from the devil. Uh, that's what Jude does. You know, and a lot more could be said about that. There was a fight between Michael and the devil. Michael was right. The devil was wrong. But he, when you're fighting, you know what happens to you, don't you? The blood rises up. I don't know if they have blood. You know, I know they don't have blood. But Michael and the devil were having a fight. And even in a fight, Michael wouldn't bring up a railing accusation. You stinking proud cherub! Who do you think you are? <laughs> God threw you out of heaven. I'm going to be there forever with Him. You're going to the lake of fire. Isn't that all true? Why didn't He unload on Him? Because it's wrong. The Lord rebuked thee. Okay, verse 12. But these. Now look, look at this jump back and forth. We had a but starting out verse 10, but chiefly telling us that there are two categories of sins that we want to focus on. Verse 11, whereas, that is a contrasting connecting word, telling us that the angels treat dig treat human dignitaries differently than men do in verse 10. And verse 12 is jumping back to those false teachers and their apostates. But these are jumping back to the bad men that are not like the angels in verse 11. The bad men are in verse 10 and 9, the second half of verse 9. But these, as natural brute beasts, they're animals. They, they're animals. They don't think high. They do not have real reasoning ability, nor real intelligence, nor real intellectual capacity. They are responding like animals do. Animals want to run away. Animals want to trample you. Animals don't want to go in a straight row, in a straight line. They have to be held in, guarded. And if they, if they, if they refuse to be trained, then you just kill them. Which are not domesticated animals at all. As natural brute beasts. Brutes, wanting in reason or understanding of human beings, it's their actions and attributes, they're brute-like, brutish, dull, senseless, stupid, unintelligent, unreasoning, uninstructed, sensual. Brutish, over pertaining to the brutes or lower animals as opposed to man. This is These are God's kind words. They're not my words. They're God's kind words toward people that want to talk against government. But these, as natural brute beasts, they're like animals. They're stupid animals. They want to fight the farmer. They don't want to be productive. They don't want to get in line and fall in line and help for a productive nation. They're like animals. And so what do you do in any level of society when you've got people that are self-willed and will not do what is beneficial for the overall good? They're made to be taken and destroyed. The made to be taken and destroyed is not modifying the animals. It's modifying the men. Just like the next clause is modifying the men and not the animals when it says speak evil of the things that they understand not. But these, these false teachers and their apostates, they're like natural brute beasts. They are made to be taken and destroyed because they are rebels to society and they cause problems wherever they are and they speak evil of the things that they understand not. The beasts don't speak. It's the false teachers and their apostate followers that speak. 
made to be taken and destroyed. Lord, save us from that. God did it to Miriam in Numbers chapter 12 because she mouthed off about her brother having too much responsibility and God uh, caught, God threw leprosy right on her on the spot. Moses fell down, begged for her forgiveness and, and said, would you please take the leprosy away? And he said, listen, uh, she at least needs to be put in quarantine for an entire week because even if her father had spit in her face, she'd be in quarantine for a week. So throw her out of the camp for a week. And so the whole camp of Israel had to stop where one mouthy woman had shot off her mouth against Moses. Now Miriam was up there. (laughs) Miriam was a prophetess and she was next to Moses and she was related to Moses. Don't you think he could get away with a little bit? This is the God that I worship. I hope that all of you worship Him with me. I hope that all of you are as intense as I am to pull out of me the stumbling blocks of iniquity and the idols that are in my heart and the raging fire that is inside me about a government that is in such great decline and tearing this nation down and pulling this nation down. But I'm going to trust the God of heaven. This nation is still not getting what it deserves. And we've had wonderful years in order to, we've had wonderful years that we could serve the Lord and be great Christians right here in the midst of America. And they'll utterly perish in their own corruption. It says, verse 12, but these, these guys that despise government, despise dominion, these presumptuous ones, the ones that aren't afraid to speak evil of dignities, the ones that bring railing accusations against government, like the illustrations that I gave you, they speak evil of things that they understand not because they don't really know what's going on in those class... You know why it's called classified information and security clearances? It means you don't know what's going on. And I'll tell you something, the people that you read know less than you know. The only reason they can, the only way they can make money is to hope that there's enough suckers like you out there to think that they know something. If it makes the public press, if your little people know about it, it ain't, it isn't true, or it's not classified. The real stuff you're never going to know about. That's why the hearts of kings is unsearchable. Solomon. Can you imagine what our press would do with this one? Two prostitutes were brought before the president last night, President Solomon, and he said, hand me a sword and lay that baby there on a table so I can cut it in half. Would the press get pretty excited about that? They get excited about anything that's going on with children. They've turned the world upside down. You know, because they all sit at home listening to Whitney Houston, children are our future. Um, I think the Lord's our future, not our children. Um, give me a sword because I want to cut this baby in half. King's hearts are unsearchable. Did it work out pretty well? Wow. And you know what the nation was doing after that event? We have one very wise president. In that case, it was a king. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed. This is the Lord speaking about them, about me, for a good part of my life, speak evil of the things that they understand not, I certainly did not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. This is the promise of God. They that resist shall receive damnation. Romans chapter 13. This damnation is not slumbering. Verse 3, the last four words. And they shall utterly perish. Utterly is without reserve or extenuation in a complete or utter manner, to an absolute or extreme degree, altogether, entirely, absolutely, fully, thoroughly, out and out, 
destroyed. I bless the God of heaven that has such a rule for us honoring authority and it filters all the way down from the top to our marriages, to our children, to our jobs, to our church. May the Lord bless us to start at the top even though the evil that is in our country of the breakdown of authority is an evil that comes from the ruler, let's reverse this whole problem by starting with the ruler and letting it filter down. If our wives and our children see us being respectful to someone in the past that we have been disrespectful toward and that we are changing and that we're humbling ourselves and that we pray for them and we pray for them fervently and humbly and honestly and we thank God for them, how can our wives and children but treat us the same way? And we'll trust the Lord for that blessing. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.